The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody. My name is Vanessa Southern. I am the senior minister of First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco. It's lovely to see you all here. And welcome to those of you who are joining us on live stream, too. It's great to have you with us from wherever you're joining us. I am graced to share the chancel this morning with Carmen Barsodi, who is a worship associate, but also one of the co-founders and residents of the Fools, the Faithful Fools in the Tenderloin, and a wonderful co-creator of worship, so grateful for Carmen, and grateful for everybody else who is making worship possible. Our musicians, Reiko Oda Lane, up in the organ loft, shaking us to the bones to remind us that um, as Anne Annie Dillard says that you should be issued a crash helmet at worship if it's done right. So she tries to help us with that one. And also to you, Christine Toulis, who's here with us again to grace us with her beautiful music from the harp and her voice and transcend us from the mortal realm to the places just above. So thank you also to our AV team, we have Jonathan Silk away on vacation, much needed, but in his place, we have Stephen Kroger and Eric Wood, both in the back. We're so grateful for you both to be with us here this month as they are during all our times of need, <laughs> and we're in really good hands. So we're grateful for both of you, and to Shuli and to Eric, who are on our cameras. And we've got Gregory Stevens, who um, actually led one of the Interfaith Council briefings this week in his work at Interfaith Power and Light. Um, did a beautiful job, but he is here monitoring our chat. So those of you who are online, if you have any questions, um, Gregory can help you answer them. Thanks also to Linda Messner, who helped usher us in with her beautiful team of ushers, and to Matthias and Tony for making the building ready and beautiful to receive us and to Amy Kelly, who brought summer into the building. And here we are in the bosom of summer, even though in San Francisco we put on our coats in the morning to enjoy it. But at least I hope starting to settle into the season and the change of pace that it invites and the invitation for reflection and for some greater repose and some regrouping and to renew some connections either with ourselves or people in our lives. So in that spirit, in a Sunday that we're talking about boundaries, a very apt illustration of which is on your order of service cover this morning, boundaries that protect space, but are permeable, sometimes negotiable, and always important to our greater wholeness. In the spirit of reflection, we gather in worship. So welcome. Good morning. I invite you to join me in the words of our chalice lighting, and if you are joining us from home, um, I invite you to light a candle. And we say together, we light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
And I invite you to join us in singing hymn 126 with our wonderful Nancy Munn. So I share this morning with you the brief invitations. If this is your first time watching, thanks for joining us. You can have emailed to you our newsletter and the link to the order of service and Sunday live stream every week if you fill out one of our connection forms. There are some in the pews in front of you, as well as on the welcome table outside the sanctuary 
and available through a link on the order of service or video description of today's service. The order of service lists upcoming events and links to opportunities to connect. I'd like to call your attention to, if you would like a short-term volunteer activity that is both enjoyable and benefits our whole church, then come to today's 12.30 auction meeting in the Kincaid Room after the service. Last year's auction was a big success, so don't miss out on being a part of this year's fun. Light refreshments will be provided, and no experience is needed. In addition, you will find the web ad address for our new auction catalog in today's order of service. Now is the time to start making your donations, such as events, parties, goods, and services. The more, the merrier. Also, take notice in the order of service of an organization in the Greater Bay Area that might benefit from a grant to support their work. Look at the grant application process for our own historic Society for Community Works and forward it to them. And we as Faithful Fools are extremely grateful for their generosity to our work. Look at the opportunities to be a part of our women's rights group and its work to volunteer for our food pantry, to join an online meditation practice, and during coffee hour, you might go into our Thomas Starr King or MLK room and enjoy the Art Committee's sponsored show of the work of Henry Sultan. I believe that this is all the announcements. And now let's take a moment to greet one another, and then we'll come back and say together our unison covenant, and we'll sing together our doxology, led by Nancy Munn. my loves, to be continued at coffee hour. Let's join together and sing our unison covenant. The words are printed in your order of service. They are among the promises that we say and make to one another in this community that's bound by covenant, not by creed. Say with me, please, love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. I invite you to rise as you're able.
One of the first memories of creating a boundary is from when I was about six or seven years old. I shared a bed with my older sister, and we would get in these arguments of who was taking up more of the bed than the other. So we decided to solve the dispute by getting some masking tape and putting a line down the middle of the bed. There, this is your side and this is mine. I'm not sure who needed this clear boundary, but apparently it was necessary to have a little peace between us. I have a sense it was my older sister who was not happy about having to share a bed with her rambunctious, ever-moving younger sister, whose boundaries have always been a little bit permeable. <laughs> I can't recall how well it worked for us, nor am I clear what necessitated it. Was, was I the one constantly invading my sister's side of the bed? Or were there times when I just wanted some space and she seemingly was too close for comfort? When we were sleeping, did we, when all defenses were down, move toward the warmth of security of the other until one got a little bit too close and the other suddenly felt crowded? Creating a boundary with masking tape as a little kid was seemingly a simple solution to one or the other of us needing some personal space. But as I think about and experience boundaries as a big kid, they are a bit more complicated and nuanced. Pretty much my whole life, except for three out of my nearly 62 years, I have lived with others. I come from a family of six children where we shared a bed and a bedroom. I have lived with all kinds of personalities and unique characters in my Franciscan communal life. And for more than 30 years, both in Nicaragua and here at the Faithful Fools in the Tenderloin, my home is also my workplace, more public than private. Where we had walls, both in Nicaragua and here at the Faithful Fools, with no ceilings until two years ago when we did put ceilings on our bedrooms at the Fool's Court. But in these boxes without lids, we could hear every voice and sound from the other side of the wall or on the street. At any moment of any day or night, the doorbell can ring or someone can come waltzing up our colorfully painted stairs to the space where staff and volunteers often work and where the public gathers and where Sam and I also live. There have been many discussions over our 25 years on what is private space and what is public space. How do we bring greater definition between the spaces? Who decides them? Do we put up a wall or a curtain or a large printed sign to help clarify lines between the public and the private space. And then there's the complexity of us faithful fools calling us uh, ourselves a community. And thus, if one identifies as part of the community, then the sense of what is private and public space 
can be even more confusing. For me, the setting of boundaries requires respectful relationship with others and with myself. It requires self-knowledge and an awareness of my own needs or even my current state of being at any given moment. It requires honesty as well as a clarity of my role or responsibility in relationship to someone, to a group, or to myself. Living with others and living where I and others work means I also need to hear and respect boundaries that others may need, even if they aren't what I alone need. I have come to recognize that some spoken or visible clarity is helpful and often appreciated, whether it's familial, collegial, intimate, or a friend relationship, or a first encounter, as I cannot expect people to guess what my personal or our collective boundaries are at any given moment. Apparently, my personal boundaries are still more like masking tape, providing definition, yet movable. Or like at the fool's court, where instead of building a solid wall, a few years ago, we installed beautifully painted large glass windows on wheels that we can open and close as needed, that can turn a public space a bit more private at the end of the day, or where one of us just might need to artfully give ourselves a time out.
was thinking this week about all of the images of God or the good. And we had a conversation about some of this at the gathering of the worship associates this week. Images that are not helpful in various ways, including when we're trying to think about healthy boundaries boundaries and guiding examples to emulate a full life, the ability to love and stay connected and hold and honor our body, our incarnate needs in these temples of flesh and blood that we occupy. So in that spirit, I invite you into the meditation and time of prayer for this day. Spirit of life, spirit of love, God of so many names and images, not of your making, but of ours. Help us to remake you in ways that support the remaking of ourselves. God on the cross who suffers for others to the bitter end, despised and abused. God of the giving tree, that symbol fed to child and parent of the caretaker, shade maker, fruit dropper, sacrificing until all that remains is a stump unable to bear fruit from having given without bounds. Help us, spirit of life and love, to find and make the images, to ignite our imaginations and guide our feet in this life of love and of savoring and of service. Images that teach us how to be and be generatively together. God of the seasons, perhaps, of spring green and summer abundance and generous harvest who gives but also takes time to retreat for the quiet seasons of rest and preparation. God of reciprocal relationships, perhaps the symbiosis of creatures, the shark and the remora fish, the living tree home to insects and birds and epiphytes hanging from its limbs and lichen and small animals burrowing at its base, native trinity of corn and bean and squash feeding one another, none taking more from the other than serves the whole. God of water, perhaps, Water that turns to life and then back to air, to cloud, and back again to rain. 
God of relationships that change to meet the needs of their circumstances and conditions, but that still remains true to who and what it is at its core, its elemental core. And God of humans, perhaps wise and compassionate, willing to sit in careful conversation, choosing the words, naming wants and needs and hurts and hopes. Be with us in finding and making the connections that make and keep us whole. And may we find a way by whatever image or inspiration that rings true for us, find a way that offers shade and fruit enough for us all. Amen. And now our offering, which is for the works and continued ministries of this community, will be both given and very gratefully received.
if the rest of you can see sometimes when candles are being lit from here and people blow out the match or the candle takes, catches fire with whatever hope or thought or person or moment or in the world's struggles that you're holding or the joy you're naming, I see when I'm sitting here this puff of smoke go up. It's gorgeous. It's like whatever that is, it's going literally out into the universe to move the world, however the world gets moved. There are a lot of life skills that you and I need to function and to be hale and hearty in this life. We need to know how to you know, tie a shoe or cook a meal eventually, uh, eventually hopefully how to balance a checkbook. And then there's this whole category of life skills that nobody often explicitly takes the time to show us, and maybe we don't even know they exist until sometimes we just stumble into the need or stumble over <laughs> the need. The latter category of skills is one that I will confess I am still working on. I think maybe it's a lifetime effort, and it's to find and maintain healthy boundaries. What are the boundaries that I'm talking about? Well, boundaries are those limits that protect and support our integrity, you might say. And by integrity, I don't necessarily mean our sense of right and wrong, although it can be related to that, actually. But what I mean is integrity in the other meaning of that word, as integrity in the way that the parts of something fit together so that it coheres as a whole, a secure whole. Integrity like how a boat has integrity when it doesn't leak, but holds its own in the water so it can move as it was intended to through the world. Boundary setting being a skill is one that we can practice and learn and get better at, hopefully, as we work on it. That's the good news. The challenge is for us to figure out where our boundaries need to lie for us to have that sense of integrity that I think we want and need. Nedra Glover Tawab is a therapist and an author of a book entitled Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. And she writes that she only found out about what boundaries were when she came to a therapist completely exhausted and deeply frustrated with some dynamics in her relationships with family and friends. Tawab writes that she wasn't unusual that in fact, one of the ways that you and I often come to know that we have a boundary issue is when we feel or see one of the warning signs. When, for instance, we feel overwhelmed or like we don't have enough time for ourselves. Or when we feel resentful, often at those who are asking for our help. Or when we start to avoid people or fantasize about dropping everything and disappearing as if that were our only recourse to staying whole, or when we're scared and afraid. 
Those are all signs that something is working against your and my ability to ride the rivers and oceans and eddies of life without taking on too much water and able to make our way with integrity. And it can point to issues where our boundaries need some shoring up, like the fence in the order of service cover, or maybe there's no fence and we need to put one up, figure out where it needs to be. Perhaps it helps at this point to understand some of the larger landscape of boundaries a bit better. Tawab says that there are six major types of boundaries, though there may be others. First and most obvious is the need for some physical boundaries about protecting, at the most basic sense, our right and need to feel safe from physical harm, but it can also include the level of touch that we feel comfortable with. And in general, like the bed or the room, the need to have personal space that feels like it allows us a level of comfort and autonomy. I think for most of us, that sense of personal space and the need for it and our differing amounts of need for it became increasingly clear, right? We started to hand out the red and yellow and green stickers, the sure hug me, ask first, and please stay your distance. <laughs> and some people have asked that we keep the stickers forever, so I think that tells you about a larger need that we didn't quite acknowledge and make space for in community. I remember when I was first made aware of the clear need for personal space that I wasn't entirely tuned into. When I came out of the church I was serving at the time from Sunday worship to meet with a couple who I was going to help prepare for their wedding. And I met the husband who was a young man, a Wall Street investor who was famous for his quantitative and, analysis and analytical skills and who had always been very um, you know, calm, but looked in that moment like a deer caught in the headlights. Thomas, I said, are you okay? Is everything okay? There was a woman, I should tell you, at our church. So many people in the church remembered her as being the first person who welcomed them and who made them feel at home in church. She was just full of love. She called herself the church hugger. It was her superpower, she and others believed but not Thomas. Wide-eyed and not at all okay with it all, he said to me, horrified, some lady hugged me! <laughs> so physical boundaries. What kind of treatment do we need? Our personal space, what feels right for us? That's one of the categories of boundaries. Somewhat related would be a second category, our sexual boundaries. This category includes sexual contact and engaging in sexual acts, both inside and outside of a relationship. The negotiation of boundaries obviously doesn't end once we're in even a committed relationship. But it also means the sharing of sexual comments or sexual materials, written or visual. It might include the way our sexual identity or expression is received and respected. 
In the comprehensive sexuality education, our whole lives, it's called, that our denomination wrote and co-created and teaches, I remember one of the earliest sessions, it's done for young elementary students, and they introduce the parents before they take your kids through it, so I got exposed to it before my daughter Lila did. They introduced that idea of good touch and bad touch, and the need for others to ask for consent before they touch you, and how to support a child in naming that need they have to be able to describe and protect their own boundaries, and who to talk to if they need help with those boundaries. It's this incredible nod really early on to acknowledging and helping a child think about physical boundaries, but also to put clarity for them to understand and frame any early violations of their own sexual boundaries integrity, protection, to learn. And in all of these, depending on our life experience, sometimes relearn in ways that are more respectful of what we need and deserve. A third and obvious type of boundaries are emotional boundaries. This includes how we're treated, how we're spoken to, how our emotions are responded to that they are respected and not brushed off, but also the boundary violation of another who overshares an experience or inappropriate information, ones we don't feel like we want to hear or can handle or would like to have to handle. For some of us, this boundary, this emotional boundary, not only means getting in touch with our own emotions and our emotional needs, but growing more and more sensitive to the ways in which maybe we've been taught to get over things <laughs> and not be so touchy. Another place where there's this beautiful invitation to relearn a relationship with ourselves and what we need. There are also, interestingly enough, and this was an aha for me, intellectual boundaries, which means the right to have your own opinion and have it respected, to not, for instance, have to have debates about ideas, enter into yelling competitions or the dismissing of an idea. And this boundary also includes the idea that certain ideas or information are also not appropriate to share with people at different developmental stages. So that children, for instance, might know about human evil, but the depths and the specificity of that might be different at each age because of what they are intellectually and emotionally able to handle. And then there are these last two boundaries that Tawab names material boundaries and time boundaries, how our things are treated, including money, and whether that meets our sense of what's appropriate, and how we treat one another's time, not only our sense of what it means to be late, but maybe wasteful of another's time or our own time, but also things like what we ask people to do for free. Or as Tawab mentions, things like sending someone text messages that reach into their private time or evening, late at night. In all of this, I'm sure you're thinking that 
the sense of what we consider to be our boundary could differ among us, legitimately does differ among us. And herein lies this big piece of the work, another piece, because the work of boundaries is not only just figuring out what we want and need and feel is important to us to have safety and wholeness, but oftentimes negotiating where our boundaries are permeable or can flex to the extent we're willing to with those that we love and want to be connected to or are in relationship to, to find a place between us maybe that feels respectful and meets both of our needs or wants as much as is possible. Let me give an example that relates to the boundary of time. My father-in-law is Indian and lives in India. I don't know if you know this, but actually all of India is on one time zone. It literally is on one time zone. But it's also on one time zone that is jokingly called among Indians, Indian standard time. Which means that if you invite someone for dinner, they can come 45 minutes to an hour and a half at least after you invited them, and that's not considered rude by most people. In general, it's not considered rude. But my father-in-law, has a slightly different notion of time. And rather than seethe about it when folks unknowingly violate his standard, he has learned to make it explicit. So for instance, he loves to throw dinner parties, lavish, beautiful meals that um, people come to and are spoiled by. But I once overheard him calling someone to invite them for dinner, not a close friend or family member, because we all know Papa's standard time, but a less close associate, and maybe one he had previously had an experience with, I don't know, and I heard Papa on the phone with them. Drinks and snacks are served at 6.30, you can come when you like, but dinner, dinner is served at 8 o'clock, so come by 8. And if you're going to come a minute past 8 o'clock, please don't come. <laughs> okay? Okay. 7.58, the guests arrived. And no harsh words were exchanged. My father-in-law, in this manner, handled boundaries beautifully. First. He knows when he's resentful. To have a gracious evening respected, what he needs. Second, he doesn't make boundaries a guessing game, and thereby liable to be walked into, pushed, or completely overrun. He names them. Secondly, or thirdly, I should say, you should know that my father-in-law would enforce those boundaries. Maybe the first time you came past eight, he would let you in the door, but he'd let you know that it was a gracious act of him to do so. And each time you came later than eight, you would hear a little more of how unhappy he was, and eventually he wouldn't let you in the door or even invite you. And so there is also, I think, I should name for my father-in-law to his credit, space for negotiation in this if someone said, we're coming in from the airport and our flight might be late, is it okay if we still come even just to join you for dessert? We'll let you know if this is happening. In all likelihood, he would be generous and gracious. He would make the boundary more porous given the circumstances. 
But always there is a clear and respectful negotiation where each knows there's some need that they're trying to meet for their own sense of wholeness and satisfaction. You and I know it can be harder to do the work where boundaries are less clear. In relationships where emotional manipulation seeps in, it can be harder to put our fingers on what's happening, where passive-aggressive behavior is present, because people who use passive-aggressive behavior like it because it's slippery and they can deny it. Families can make us feel selfish or rigid for having boundaries as a way, frankly, I think often to defend their own need to do whatever the hell they want to or are used to doing. People often resist change, even if it's for the better, for one or all of them. But also, some of us don't have a home we own or are in charge of and can control, or space that is ours to name and put fences around, or glass doors we can install and slide across a space that was public most of the day, but now private. And we don't all have a boss who's willing to negotiate with us or the ability to quit. Life is complicated, but we can Take the work one step, one piece of clarity at a time, and trust that we'll get somewhere worth going. So much of this work is about trial and error and conversation with ourselves and others. What will create just a little more joy, a little less resentment or exhaustion? What makes our boat a little steadier in the waters, easier to navigate in life to where we think we want to go? And so you and I do the work. We build the skill, like tying our shoes. We identify the warning signs where they show up. Oh, I'm feeling resentful or exhausted or want to run away. <laughs> we clarify what boundary that feeling points to. We decide how to delineate it. What really do we want or need? And how would we name it and with whom would we share it? We start the sometimes tiring and vigilant work of reinforcing the boundary if it gets tested, consciously or unconsciously, gets tested. And maybe we do the work of renegotiating it between our different and shared needs, those that we are in the most sacred and beloved relationships to. Ultimately, too, I think it's fair to say that if the boundary is important, is central to our integrity, we also prepare ourselves for the hard choice that can be part of taking responsibility for that integrity. It would be great if it never got there, but some people eventually don't get to be on the party invitation list anymore which is putting lightly the hardest part of this work in our lives. In my own case, it took my back against a wall of exhaustion to be willing to set boundaries in my life. I imagine that that is more common than not. Setting boundaries felt vulnerable and scary to me. It felt entitled to insist on. 
I thought the world would think me less for asking for what I needed, for needing anything. I considered myself an incredible machine of productivity. <laughs> and sometimes, and some people, do want us not to ask for what we need. I don't really know why. Maybe it's because we all want someone else in the world who will be like the giving tree, always yielding what they can until we are left a stump. <laughs> but the truth is, you and I know that the world isn't served that way. We aren't personally, but the world isn't, and our relationships aren't. We're so much better when we're fed. And as Carmen wrote to me about this subject this week, I guess what I would say she wrote as I muse about boundaries in my own life is they aren't so much about separation or keeping people out as they are about staying in respectful relationship, myself and others. In that sense, my friends, healthy boundaries are about the way we are separately and together to find our way to being flourishing creatures, nestled in this web of rich and meaningful relationships that are part of that, sustained in our life, separately and together for the long haul. And only we can set the boundaries that make it that way for ourselves. When we do, increasingly, we, like the boat navigating the rivers and oceans of life, we can have integrity, which means we travel surer and further and more alive and happier and in a healthier flotilla as we go. So may the journey be joyful and the guests arrive by eight. Let's sing together in this spirit of the ways we take one more incremental step in our lives as we build the life we dream of. Let's sing together hymn number 168, one more step.
I invite you to remain standing, but put down your hymnals and personal space determining whether you keep your arms crossed or join hands with the people next to you as we say our benediction. And now in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. So there's one more song I'd like to share with all of you. And um, this is a new song. It just came in in April. And it's actually participatory. So I'm going to actually invite you to join me in creating this music. It's a blues tune. I've never written a blues tune in my whole life. <laughs> But this is what came in, and I thought it would be fun to share this with you today. It's called Divine Spark. So if you want to join me snapping your fingers or clapping your hands, we'll do this one together. There you go. You got it. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> it's summer, right? Let's have some fun. <laughs> There's a divine spark in your heart. It's a transformer. It'll light your way forward. Take a moment to tune into it now. There's a pure love deep within you that'll bless your life and everyone around you. Just let it flow, and let it grow, and then you'll know, yeah. If your life's not feeling like a gift, perhaps it's time to make a little shift. Slow it down, find your ground, make a choice to turn it round. Bring the love in and you'll feel a lift, cause we're really a creator. Manifesting sacred dreams, connecting to your higher vision, and realizing what it means. Your inner guidance leads the way On the treasure hunt that becomes your day Just take a moment to tune into it now There's a pure love deep within you That'll bless your life and everyone around you just let it flow, and let it grow, and then you'll know, yeah. 
With an attitude centered in gratitude You've got the energy to improve your mood Take a moment to tune into it now There's a pure love deep within you That'll bless your life and everyone around you Just let it flow and let it grow and then you'll know If you're standing at a closed door And you don't know which way to go Take a step back, go within Jack and Find your inner glow, cause you're really a creator Manifesting sacred dreams Connecting to your higher vision Realizing what it means Your heart is a broadcast station Streaming energy and information Your special key to transformation and reality creation You've got the solution That divine vibration It'll help you every time Cause there's a pure love deep within you That'll bless your life and everyone around you just let it flow and let it grow and then you'll know so just let it flow and let it grow and then you'll know cause we're really all creators manifesting sacred dreams Connecting to a higher visions And realizing what it means Realizing what it means Realizing what it means Yeah, 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 yeah Thank you. Happy summer, everyone.